Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. The Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. Bringing you the latest from the world of daily fantasy sports and gambling. So you can stop Googling how to join a squid game to cover all those parlays you thought were such a sure thing. Now, sit back and listen to one of the sharpest minds in the game. Here's your host, Dwayne Callender. All right, folks, welcome to another edition of the show. We actually had to scrap the original episode for this UFC 279 preview, mainly because last night all hell broke loose at the weigh-ins, wherein the actual main event of the entire pay-per-view had to be scrapped because Kizmachimaev, uh, Kizmachimaev, was seven and a half pounds overweight for his welterweight title fight. Uh, Walter Waite uh, fight against Nate Diaz. Basically, uh, Chemayev, to put this into context, is was in line to be the uh, contender for the re, uh, for whomever, whomever wins be, uh, the rematch between Leon Edwards and Kamar Usman for the uh, the trilogy. That that third fight's going to happen in London, but Chemayev was going to fight the winner when he was a prohibitive minus nine hundred favorite against Nate Diaz. Chemayev, the only thing he had to do was make weight, literally make weight and win the fight. But winning the fight was pretty much almost a lock. This was one of the most like boring bets to ever make because Nate Diaz, to put this into context for this pay-per-view, Nate Diaz was on the final fight of his UFC contract and had been begging to get released out of his UFC contract. He was done with it. Every interview from Nate Diaz indicates he does not give a rat's ass about who he's fighting. He just wants to get out of his contract, and uh, you know he'll take the paycheck too on the way out. Like this was pretty much a done deal. Chimaev's gonna find a way to win this fight, probably in the first round. It, like basically, Nate was the, like, unless this is one of the greatest. Uh, uh, like a slow plays ever where he just uh, sandbags everyone in the audience by talking about how much he doesn't care. But that is never Nate Diaz's style. If there's one thing you know with the Diaz brothers, they're always upfront and pretty honest about how they feel. And how Nate felt was that he was being disrespected his entire UFC contract. He wanted out. He wanted to get bigger paydays. And he's already moving on with the next phase of his life knowing that he can draw money pretty much with whatever he does because he's that captivating a personality. So it, this was literally going to be a cakewalk for Chemayev. Chemayev is seven and a half pounds overweight. And for those of you who are asking, well, could they make it work anyway? Basically, with most fighting commissions, if you are even like like. Usually they give you a warning if you're over three pounds overweight. Five in most commissions uh, statewide uh, uh, across the country, they cancel the fight outright. Like, they dump it. The UFC might have been able to salvage this if Nate was opting to take a catchweight fight. But realistically, at why would Nate volunteer when he's really more of a 155-er, not a 170-pounder? He's really a 155 kind of guy. Uh, fighting at 170 was more because he doesn't want to cut down to 155 anymore. So going up to 180, 
it like would have been insane uh, for Nate. It, like it doesn't make any sense at that point because he can only bulk up so much. It, it does nothing for him. Jemayev, uh, you know, maybe he thought, you know, not cutting the weight and getting a different fight. It, like this is one of the most boneheaded decisions ever. He cost himself a ton of money. Nate Diaz renegotiated his contract for this last fight to save the pay-per-view because with the fight canceled, they had to find a replacement. Dustin Poirier was on standby, like at 176, ready to fight Nate at a catch weight to get the fight over and done with. Like, because like uh, Poirier could have cut, like, even though it's six pounds, Poirier's a pro. He he probably would have been able to find a way to make uh, uh, make down the weight. Uh, actually, no, I, I'm saying that wrong. Poirier was at 170.60. It's like I'm I'm going through so much stuff so quickly. Poirier was already on weight, so he could have made the fight automatically at 170. Um, th- this is beyond crazy how this went down. Chimaev was such a prohibitive favorite. Basically, all we were going to talk about was KO props. And inside the distance finishing uh, props for Chimaev against Nate Diaz. This was a boring. <laughs> this was a boring betting card and a pretty rudimentary DFS slate. Now it's still kind of boring from a betting standpoint, but from a DFS standpoint, we've got a lot of game theory to apply here. So let's just get right down to it. The replacement fighter for Kazma Chimaev is Tony Ferguson who was going to fight Li Jinglang, uh, and Tony's coming off four straight losses. And most recently, got knocked out into oblivion by Michael Chandler via a front kick that is a viral moment that pretty much any fight fan has seen. If you haven't seen it, you can Google Tony Ferguson, uh, Michael Chandler, and you'll just see a still-motion photo of Tony Ferguson's face being completely deformed Upon the moment of impact of Michael Chandler's foot to his chin. And that was less than five months ago. We're about like four months out from that fight. Somehow the, the, the fighting commission cleared Ferguson. I couldn't believe that Ferguson was even on this card to begin with. But Tony's lost four fights in a row. So you got Nate Diaz who doesn't care. And didn't look like he was really training that hard for this fight. And Tony Ferguson who's lost four fights in a row, granted, all high-level competition who are either the champ or uh, fought for the championship in the last uh, in the last year and a half. Because he lost to Charles Oliveira and uh, uh, Justin Gaethje before then. Uh, you know, I, I mean, Tony's had some, like, rough beatings. I mean, the Gaethje fight, I mean, he got beat. Like, a government mule beat. Like, Tony's taking a lot of hard shots. And I thought, even with the Chandler fight, you know, with Chandler, I thought Tony could actually catch him and eventually get the, uh, 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 eventually get get a finish. But that Chandler front kick in the second round, I mean, it was on point and just flattened him. Absolutely flattened him. So, truth be told, this is just one of those things where I I have to say that I I I want to say Tony Ferguson should still find a way to win this fight just because he's the one that's got a lot to prove. He's still under contract for a few more fights. But like, if he loses this fight, 
Like, because he was a prohibitive dog against Lee G. Lang. There was a chance that Tony was going to get cut after this fight. Now Tony's the favorite against Nate Diaz. Tony, who has lost four fights in a row, is a minus 135 favorite against Nate Diaz. That should tell you something about how negatively Nate Diaz is being viewed right now in terms of just fight fans and the folks who uh, do analysis like myself. That's that's where Nate is right now. Completely checked out, not interested in fighting anymore. But wanting to the, wanting the paycheck regardless from the UFC to just finish out uh, this uh, fight contract. He's 37 years old at this point. We are multiple years removed from uh, his win over Conor McGregor. I You know, I just want to be honest here. It, it, this is kind of wild where... You know, the last fight we had was the Leon Edwards fight where he realistically got beat pretty decisively by Leon. And that was almost 500 days ago. Nate Diaz has not fought in over 450 days. Think about that. Think about it. It was last June. That Edwards fight last June. I mean, I've like I've lost track of how many episodes I've done since I've covered. because we broke down that fight, and even then I thought, man, I want to pick Nate, but I still think Leon's going to handle this one. Um, this is just this is just surreal that we are on a guy who has lost four fights in a row. As a favorite, from a betting standpoint, I totally get it. Why we would take Tony? Because Nate doesn't really have knockout power in his hands. He's really more of a slap fighter where he'll accumulate damage on you. Whereas Tony's going to throw some random uh, spinning attacks and elbows and knees and try to catch Nate and bust him up. I can see this fight being just a bloody affair where it just goes to a decision. And that's the that's the crazy part. The inside the distance number basically is going to like it, it's it's it, it's a pick em fight for whether or not this fight goes to a decision or not. It, it, it's crazy. No one wants to bet that this is going to end up being uh, inside the distance finish. I think Tony's more likely to finish inside the distance against Nate. Um, Tony has the uh, better odds of finishing inside the distance, but it's really not—it's really not a great number. Like Tony's at plus two hundred five to finish inside the distance. Nate is at plus three twenty-five. That that should like tell you realistically. Everyone's thinking this this fight is going the distance, and. On DraftKings, pricing-wise, they didn't reset the pricing. Nate is $6,600. Tony is $7,200. I can't believe I'm actually suggesting this. But this is actually a case where you can make an argument because both guys are going to trade shots. They're going to trade punches. You can actually make an argument in a five-round fight if you don't think they're going to go to a finish. You're going to make an argument of playing both fighters in the main event Banking on that fight going to a decision and the loser still scoring enough points 
because of significant strikes landed over 25 minutes. Because the one thing Tony and Nate do is they do put out a lot of volume in terms of significant strikes per minute. They're still going to be striking over uh, five strikes per minute on both sides. It, like this is one of those things where you do the math: five strikes over twenty-five minutes. Like you've got over a hundred significant strikes on both sides. That's going to score very well from a DFS standpoint. Maybe someone gets taken down. I don't. I don't know. Tony doesn't really like taking people down, and they're both good with jujitsu, so. It kind of cancels each other out. It's not like any either guy has a true technical advantage, and they're both so macho and alpha that I can see them talking themselves, even if they have an op- opportunity for a wide-open shot to take a guy down and control around, they're not going to take it because their pride's going to tell them, I can finish this dude standing up. I don't need to uh, get him on the ground. It's crazy. This is a wild, wild fight scenario. Where, from a betting perspective, no one thinks this is going. <laughs> no, one, no one's thinking that this is going uh, to finish inside the distance. And a guy with four straight losses is the favored fighter. It's wild. It is absolutely bonkers that we're in this spot. But it's a close fight. It's a close fight. I lean Tony as well. But man. Nate can win this fight. It, it wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me with everything going on that he puts it together and it, it delivers enough combos to win three rounds. I don't see a finish in this fight. But from a game theory standpoint and the amount of salary savings you get from both Ferguson and Nate Diaz, stacking the fight is not the craziest thing in the world because Chemayev, guess what? Got in the... Uh, an opponent that's almost as straightforward to fight as Nate in Kevin Holland. They're doing the catchweight fight at 180 pounds. Kevin Holland's natu- uh, uh, more naturally uh, in that uh, in that f- uh, frame of middleweight. Uh, he's just going to make the but the cr- the wild thing about all of this and like and I can't get this out of my head. I, I really can't get this out of my head. When you look at what's going on with Chemayev, his striking hasn't changed. He's still an incredibly dangerous striker to finish guys with knockout power. The fact that he missed, and it's crazy how this happened, the fact that he missed weight as horribly as he did leads me to believe not that there was any sort of injury in America. He just, he just didn't give a rat's ass about fighting for the belt and just said, ah, screw it. I'll take whatever fight. I'm not cutting weight. I don't care. It, it's just, it's crazy that it got to this point, but that's what seems to have happened because realistically, Chemayev wasn't hurt. He wasn't injured. He just... Like, at that amount of a weight cut miss, you just didn't try to lose weight. So, the the wild part about all this is, Jemayev basically gets to uh, fight a, uh, a, a, a fighter in Kevin Holland who has knockout power in his hands. Don't get me wrong, but 
even worse takedown defense than what he uh, would have faced in Nate Diaz. So even though he's going up a couple of pounds to fight Kevin Holland, Jemayev is a uh, he was a minus not eight hundred favorite against Nate Diaz. Some books had him at minus nine hundred, but he's a minus five fifty favorite against Kevin Holland because of the reasons I have outlined. Kevin Holland's takedown defense is abysmal. He has less than I want to say if if I if I have the numbers right, I think he has a less than forty percent success rate in takedown defense. It's it's either low forties or uh, maybe he hit fifty, but it's like it's low. We're go- like just so you know, and Jemayev attempts multiple takedowns per uh, fifteen minutes. He usually gets around two or three. But because he starches so many guys, it really never comes down to his takedowns. But his success rate is over 60%. He's going to take down Holland whenever he wants if he goes for it. It, Like, I don't see Holland being able to stay on his feet. And the thing of it is, is that DraftKings, because they didn't change the pricing, Holland was a favorite against Lee Chi Lang. Holland is still priced at 8,700. I cannot recommend playing Kevin Holland even as a leverage play because as a leverage play, you would have to be playing over in terms of multi-entry formats. I would say Kevin Holland shouldn't be hitting your builds pat, like until you get through 100 lineups. And, and I'm just being honest here. like There's really no reason to be trying to force-feed Kevin Holland and to build, it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't make sense in terms of the grand scheme of things why you would try to force feed uh, Kevin Holland in the lineups, knowing that Chemaev's best path to victory is just taking him down as soon as uh, as soon as the first round begins, taking him down, weigh on him, try to drain Kevin Holland's gas tank because Chemaev's gas tank also has to be called into question because how hard did he really train given the weight cut miss? Again, the cardio is a big question because even when Chamaya fought Gilbert Burns, Burns was having success in that third round until Chamaya uh, got him later on because of all the damage Gilbert had accumulated. But Chamaya was slowing down dramatically. I just look at it as a case where there are different ways of getting uh, uh, making your li- uh, your lineup unique that don't take on as much risk as Kevin Holland. Now, I anticipate Kevin Holland's ownership being less than 10% on uh, DraftKings. But even from that standpoint, I don't think his odds of winning are 10%. I think it's it's probably closer to 5 or 6% because I think Kevin Holland needs a finish to win this fight. I think Shemayev's going to control enough minutes that Kevin Holland's going to lose three rounds because even though this fight got bumped up to five rounds... I think Kevin Holland's going to have to finish Chemayev in the championship rounds. I think in the first three rounds, Chemayev's wrestling is going to be able to take down Holland and keep him there. I don't see Kevin Holland being able to be on his feet long enough to put Chemayev in any sort of danger. Maybe I'm wrong and, you know, he catches him with something, but I just don't see it happening. I, I think the most likely scenario is Chemayev gets uh, Holland to the ground and then pounds on him and finishes the fight within two minutes, uh, 
uh, within two rounds. I was gonna, I, I almost said two minutes, but I, I think he finishes it in the second round, most likely. But it wouldn't shock me if uh, Chimaev finishes it in the first round, uh, where you still got uh, props at plus uh, two hundred for Chimaev, even though uh, he's still a significant favorite. Uh, no one really knows which round he's going to be able to finish this fight. Some people still have him lose, uh, losing the fight, uh, betting-wise, and uh, just took the sharp money, uh, or supposedly sharp money, on Kevin Holland. I just don't see it as necessarily a sharp play. The numbers growing on Holland because of the money flowing in on Jemayev, but I, I just think that Holland took the right approach. He negotiated the contract for the revised fight, made more money in the process, and... You know he'll he'll just kind of uh, take the money, and uh, it sounds like he's just going to take the L and uh, uh, be done with it because it doesn't really count that hard against him because he helped save the pay per view. It's again, I say this, but you'll see how it plays out uh, later on uh, tonight. But uh, it's just wild in terms of how the build. So with Chimaev at ninety six hundred. Salary wise, you would say it's a it's pretty rough to actually fit him in. The thing is, if you play Tony and Nate together, you can fit in Chimaev and a bunch of these other favorites that I'm going to get into a bit later on. But uh, it, it is certainly food for thought, in my opinion. So we go into our next rescheduled fight or remade fight, and that's Li Jing Lang, who was going to face Tony Ferguson and was favored. Now is facing Daniel Rodriguez at a catch weight of 180 pounds. And, you know, Li Jing Lang was supposed to be fighting at 170. He's moving at this catch weight to fight Daniel Rodriguez. And D Rod is a former light heavyweight. Like, I, I don't know where this, this works, like, how this actually works. Because D Rod was fighting, gonna fight, uh, uh, yeah, D Rod was gonna fight Kevin Holland. I, I got that wrong. Uh, Lee Jing Lang was gonna be favored against, no, no, I had it right. Lee Jing Lang was gonna, uh, be favored against Tony Ferguson. D Rod was an underdog against Kevin Holland. D Rod's not changing weight. Lee Jing Lang basically is, not cutting the weight and just rehydrated to fight at 180, but realistically he's a 170er. He's just using his water weight to rehydrate to 180. Like Daniel Rodriguez is basically going to be around close to 195 to 200 pounds when he fights Li Jingling um, later today, whereas Jingling is going to be basically 180 pounds. Like it's, it's just it's going to be a real weight difference. So. The the thing of it is is that D Rod is only about one inch higher and only a three inch reach advantage. But the thing about D Rod is he pumps out a crazy number of significant strikes per minute. He pumps out over eight significant strikes per minute, and Lee just does not throw with the same amount of volume. So you got a bigger, stronger dude throwing out more punching power and volume. You know, I just expect Daniel Rodriguez to batter Li Jing Lang. And this is my favorite bet of the day because Daniel Rodriguez is only a minus 150 favorite. 
I'm just going to keep hammering this line. This line should be probably around minus 250, in my opinion, because I don't see Li Jingling being able to wrestle Daniel Rodriguez to the ground. I don't see him being able to hold Rodriguez to the ground. I don't see... Um, I don't see where he's going to be able to, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't see Jingling being able to knock out Daniel Rodriguez. Like that is his only pathway to victory, and I don't think he has that power at this weight class to really start you, dude. I don't see it. I really don't see it. So from a betting perspective, Daniel Rodriguez has fallen into a. a beautiful nut spot uh, of just now being only a slight favorite, but I just think you just uh, like the numbers on Dan Rodriguez being able to finish this inside the distance. He is plus 225 to finish inside the distance. I do not see this uh, fight going to distance. I think with the amount of significant strikes, I think uh, Dan Rodriguez can get him out there. Uh, especially with uh, the size difference that you're going to see. He's going to be carrying more weight and more power behind his punches. I just, I don't see Jingling getting through the third round. I think this fight ends inside the distance and plus 225, uh, definitely. And then even from a prop standpoint, if Daniel Rodriguez, if you want to bet it, he's plus 600 to uh, finish by knockout or submission in the first round. I don't think that's out of the realm possibility either. But Daniel Rodriguez is my favorite bet on this actual card. And because of everything that went on, you know, you get you get these matchups. And I just, I look at this and like, I hope Lee got a hefty payday from the UFC because this is not the fight that he was expecting. He was expecting Tony Ferguson and being able to, uh, likely be able to take Tony down because of the smaller frame. I just don't see a pathway for Lee to win this fight other than getting landing a punch right on the chin and taking him out. I, I but I, I don't see it. I don't see it. Rodriguez has been pretty good in scrap, so I, I don't I don't see it. Um we got a couple other fights. Irene Aldalna versus Macy Chiosan. Uh, Macy is a plus 155 underdog. Aldana, minus 180 favorite. The inside of the distance is plus 130. So not expected to go um, finish inside the distance. They expect this to go to a decision. Aldana basically is good at takedown defense, but she's going to strike with you. Jason wants to get this to the ground as soon as possible and be able to... Uh, Row up a submission to try to get a win. That's basically Jason's only game plan here. She's gonna keep trying to go for it. Aldana, you know, I don't think she finishes Jason, so I'm staying away from this fight from a DFS perspective. From a betting perspective, yeah, you can throw it into some parlays, but none of these numbers are all that interesting to me in terms of the fight uh, uh, for this one. Um, next up. We've got uh, Yon Kutalaba and Johnny Walker. Basically, fireworks, fireworks, fireworks. Uh, could Johnny Walker pull this one out and get a finish? Certainly. 
Can I say Yon Kutalaba having the knockout of the night uh, before it's all said and done? Absolutely. I could see him finishing Johnny Walker in the first round, in the second round. I don't see this fight going to a third round. Like, one way or another, maybe Johnny Walker gets uh, uh, lands a big shot on Kutalaba. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me in the least, just because of how Kutalaba fights at times, being very open. But... Truth be told, I don't see a scenario where this fight gets into the third round. These guys put out a good bit of volume, and they're throw they're throwing heat. Yeah, so Kutalaba also lands takedowns at a tremendous rate. Johnny Walker, terrible, t- uh, uh, t- terrible uh, in terms of the fight IQ because his takedown defense. Isn't the best, but sometimes he can take down other dudes and use his jujitsu, and he just doesn't do it. So he is very limited in that regard in terms of some of his skill sets that he just doesn't use. But I just look at this as Kutalaba should be uh, favored, uh, and he is at minus 200, but I don't see where uh, Kutalaba also, you can't just take the minus 125 to finish inside the distance because that realistically is the most likely scenario. I just see uh, Kutalaba taking care of business, getting him out before the third round, and from a DFS standpoint, Kutalaba is only costing you 8600 He might be the best play on the DFS like tonight in terms of overall value uh, before it's all said and done. So I will have a lot of Kutalaba. Johnny Walker... Uh, yes, you can do use it as a leverage play. Um, and frankly, Kevin Holland would be a better leverage play, in my opinion, than uh, Johnny Walker. But if you want to apply the game theory in terms of the odds, yeah, you can take a shot on Johnny Walker because he has the power to knock out Kutalaba. And there's a chance, uh, there's very real chance that Kutalaba leaves himself uh, open and exposed to getting dropped. Anyway, I'm going to take a quick break, and then we're going to circle back with a couple of the other fights that are still left on this card, so uh, stick with us. Don't go anywhere. The Fantasy Throwdown Podcast will be right back after our sponsors pay the bills. Welcome back to the show. Hope you got your popcorn ready. All right, so getting back into the mix of things, we've got Hakeem Dawadu versus Juicy J. Julian Arosa. Uh, Dawadu is a minus 225 favorite. Uh, Arosa is uh, plus 190. Arosa is 7,300 on DraftKings. Dawadu is 8,900. Here's the bottom line. I'm probably going to have exposure to both sides of this fight. And I'll, the only question I have is, is am I going to max out both fighters and just in terms of the entries and just go 100% all in on this fight and one way or the other because of the fact that um, Orosa fights a very fast-paced style and leaves himself very wide open to getting hit and getting hit hard that I could see him getting finished. Uh, the inside the distance line is minus 105. I think it should be uh, 
<laughs> like realistically, I think that line, my inside edition line should be probably closer to like minus one eighty. I think this fight is almost certainly going to finish inside the distance, um, unless Dewadu. And part of the reason why is Dewadu does get a lot of decisions in the UFC, so they're they're saying that he's probably not going to get it uh, uh, get a finish. But Dewadu basically lands over five significant strikes per minute. And Rosa, he leaves his chin up. And like, this not as though uh, they don't have power uh, at 145. They've got power. Uh, so there's a very real chance that we see a finish here. And because of Rosa's pricing at 7,300, if he gets a finish, he's almost, it's almost a lot that he's in the optimal if not because of this goofy pricing between Nate and Tony, where maybe the, the winner of that fight out, out, outpaces Arosa, but it, this is one of the fights where I could see the dog winning, and it's not even remotely shocking, but Dewadu also has pretty good pop, and I and again, I think there's edge here with people not thinking this fight's going to finish inside the distance, and I just I disagree. I I. I feel very good about betting the inside distance finish um, from a betting standpoint, but from a DFS standpoint, roster construction wise, I think both Duwato and Arosa are very much in play uh, across the board. So, uh, yeah, it, it's just going to be kind of pick your path as to how you build out your lineups. But uh, I feel very good about that matchup. Next up, we've got. Oh, and actually, I should say this. Duwadu did weigh in uh, a pound and a half overweight. So, yes, he missed weight. Did he look good on the scale? Yeah. So this could be just one where, you know, he just couldn't lose the extra pound uh, pound and a half or just actually one pound because they do give you like a half pound uh, grievance, uh, if you will, to uh, make weight and uh, within allowance. But, uh, you know. I just don't necessarily. I don't necessarily see uh, Dewadu. You know, he missed it. Uh, he yes, he did miss the weight, but he didn't look bad. So I, I think he's going to be well rested and ready to go. I I just I look at it as like I I could see you uh, find a pathway for Rosa winning, but I think Dewadu probably wins this seventy. 70- percent of the time so i'll probably do a 70 30 mix and just go all in on this fight because i I think the winner has a very good chance of being in the optimal based off of some of the pricing we're seeing here if you don't stack uh nick and uh tony ferguson together next up jolton almeida 9500 on DraftKings minus 660 favorite um he's fighting anton turco uh uh, you know, this fight is uh, basically lock in Almeida and move on. I don't see where Almeida loses this fight. It, it's just, you know, it is what it is. It, it's like, uh, from my standpoint, you know, they're they're tr- they're trying to promote uh, at heavyweight Almeida. They're, you know, there's just not not much else to it. I, I think Almeida just steamrolls this dude. Um, and because of the salary on Nick and Nate, I, I think 
uh, Almeida, if you're stacking the Diaz and Tony fight, the uh, Almeida has to be in your lineup at that point because you're bank you're baking in a loss, so you need a big boy score from uh, uh, the likes of Almeida to make up for that. So that's all I'm going to say uh, on on this fight. I think it's just lock them and move on with the rest of your build. Uh, next up, we got Jamie Pickett versus uh, Dennis uh, Tulalin. This fight has been supposed to happen for about like three different times at uh, middleweight 185, and it just keeps getting canceled and canceled. So they're finally going to fight. You know, Pickett is, you know, pretty average across the board, nothing too awe inspiring. He's only a minus 130 favorite. Uh, Tulalin, I'm not as familiar with, but this is one of those 8,300, 7,900. You know, chances are the winner ends up on the optimal because of their salary savings uh, to get some of the other studs. And I don't know exactly who would be the best person serve to win, whether it's Pickett or Tulin. Uh, You know, this is a very close fight. It's supposed to finish inside the distance. Uh, it's uh, at minus 120. But realistically, with what these guys do, you know, Pickett isn't a great wrestler. He doesn't have great accuracy with his takedowns. Tulin is a, a striker who's not great with takedown defense. So whoever is able to enforce their will should win uh, the fight. And, you know, people are more confident in this one in, ending inside the distance. I'm more confident in the Dewadu fight ending inside the distance than I am this one. But, you know, if it does finish inside the distance, you, you definitely have to be on the right side of that fight. Because I, I can see that if it finishes inside the distance, you know, you're going to need a lot of other factors to go in the way if you don't have this fight in your builds. So in terms of the fight itself, I think Pickett wins by decision. But Tulin does have knockout power that I could see him finishing Pickett. I just... I just don't think I don't think Pickett finishes inside the, like that's the only thing that has me slightly concerned with the pricing. I might end up having more of uh Tulin, but I don't know. It, it it does like the more I keep thinking about this fight, the more I'm wondering if that inside the distance number makes the most sense. Cause Pickett um, he just doesn't, he doesn't, you know, he does have some finishes, but it's, it, 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 it's weird because both guys don't go to decision a ton. So that's part of the reason why it's just that when Pickett wins, it's been more the other guy just kind of gassed out so it's like uh that's why he's only two and three in the ufc um yeah uh yeah well i wish i had a more definitive stance on it um but i you know my gut's telling me pickett doesn't finish this fight but tulin uh probably could but it's to me it's more of a coin flip so um you could take tulin uh at the plus 110 figure as an underdog but uh, I just think it's a coin flip fight, as indicated in the odds, to be honest. Next up, we got a heavyweight matchup, and basically super heavyweight matchup. It's all the way up at 265, and Chris Barnett did weigh over. 
265, so he missed weight. So we're we're now in the age of heavyweights missing weight. Jake Collier, a minus 410 favorite against Chris Barnett. And I will say this, um, you know, I, I did say Chris Barnett missed weight, but, you know, there's a very logical reason behind all this. Chris Barnett lost his wife um, uh, within the past month. You know, I I have very strong consideration of wondering why Chris Barnett is even taking this fight. Maybe it's to pay for the funeral cost. Like I, I have questions on his motivation level for this fight. He missed weight. Was he training hard? It's it's heavyweight fight. It's low level heavyweight fight. So there is knockout power in the hands of these guys. And Chris Barnett, big guy. He's only like five. He's shorter than I am. He, um, Chris Barnett, it's like only like five, eight. I think, and weighs over 265 pounds. Uh, like, he he is a literal fire hydrant. Um, they say 5'9", but I swear, like, I, I've seen I've seen the tape of this guy. Like, he's he is def, he is absolutely shorter than I am, and by, by, by a good march, I, I honestly think he's 5'8". I don't think he's 5'9". I think they're rounding him up to 5'9", um, to be honest. But, um, it's... It's just one of those things where it's like Chris Barnett had a spinning back kick, uh, spinning heel kick for a victory that you have to see in a viral moment. And his dance move, like Chris Barnett dances to the arena, like he, like he's entertaining. But just because you're entertaining doesn't mean I'm going to bet you with my money. Um, this should be Collier all day. Collier has lost a couple of split decisions at heavyweight that he should have won. That he definitely won the Arlovsky fight, but you know we'll see. We'll see what he comes up with. But I expect him to be able to finish Barnett. The inside the distance number is minus one forty. And excuse me. And um, Collier is ninety one hundred on DraftKings. Uh, Barnett seventy one hundred. So yeah, you could see some Barnett builds creeping through. He does have knockout power, as I've talked about. Like, his spinning hook kick is very impressive for a guy his size. Like, he to be able to move that quickly, athleticism, and generate the torque needed to do that finish, it, it you know, and land the kick. You got to see the video. If you haven't seen that video, well, go watch the video. Uh, in that John, John Vellante fight, I mean. But, yeah, I, I just think Collier... Throws volume. Again, I just don't know what Mar- uh, Barnett's motivation is. You know, he had a death, uh, death of his wife. I just, I don't know where his head's at. And I don't feel great about that, given so many other places we could go on this card for value because of all the last minute changes to the card. You know, Barnett is no longer value because you've got guys who can win at lower prices. It, you know, it just, doesn't make sense to me. All right. We're going to run through the last couple of fights here um, just because I just don't have a ton of interest in them. Norma Dumont versus Danielle Wolf. Dumont's a minus 410 favorite, 9,200 on DraftKings. I'm fading this entirely. Danielle Wolf fading entirely. It, like, Danielle Wolf, like, literally has only fought one fight uh, in MMA. Before getting a call from the UFC, she does have boxing experience, but I have no interest in it. Like, I have no idea 
what tape she really has. She only has one professional MMA fight. It just doesn't make a ton of sense, in my opinion. So, I got to... I got to... Call out um, that one. It, it just doesn't make a, a ton of sense to me uh, in that fight. Um, so fading DFS, avoiding it from a betting standpoint. Um, Dumont's pretty boring uh, from a fight standpoint. It probably goes to a decision, uh, but I don't even think it's worth taking the risk even in parlays because Dumont's just not that impressive uh, to me personally. Uh, next up, a bantamweight fight at 135 between uh, Altalagani and Chad Allnager. Um, Alatang just needs to wrestle. Just wrestle. Like, you you guys could hear my frustration. Alatang has some of the dumbest fight IQ I've seen in a fighter. Just wrestle. 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 just oh my goodness the dude just wants to stand and bang just wrestle you can out wrestle most of these dudes at this weight class just wrestle oh god it's just frustrating watching some of these dudes um but then you got Chad out on the gagger because of Alting taking as much damage as he has over the years yeah, he could get finished. But again, at 7,800, there's no value in this number for Chad Allnagager. And Alatang has an easy pathway to victory. Just shoot for takedowns. You're a minus 170 favorite. You would be minus 250 if you were even remotely more diligent in your fight preparation and approach that odds makers will feel more confident in you. That that's that's the long intro. Alatang should win this fight all day, every day. But because of his habits, it's telling the odds makers, let's not go all in on this dude. And I can't blame him. Cannot blame him. I expect Alatang to win. Wouldn't be shocked if he lost uh uh like a split decision where he he's just like swinging for defenses and you know who knows how it's gonna go. Next up, Melissa Martinez and Elise Reed. This is a hard pass. Uh, Martinez is a minus 170 favorite. Um, 8,500 on DraftKings. 7,700 for Reed. Like, this is 15 minutes of striking, and who knows who's going to... Like, their striking is... This is not high-level striking. Uh, You know, whomever lands a couple of halfway decent shots probably wins uh, the fight, but, you know... We're not seeing fight tonight out of this matchup, so we're gonna just keep it moving with our last car uh, fight of the prelims, and I'm gonna get out of here. Um, from a roster construction standpoint, Darian Weeks is one of the fighters that I'm looking to target. Yes, Johan Lanessi uh, gives you a $200 savings, but I think Darian Weeks at 8,200 because of all the other fighters you can get in because of the reshuffling of the card. Darren Weeks should be in, I'd probably say, he's probably going to be in like about 40% of my lineups, and I'm playing at least 20 lineups uh, this week. Probably more, but it's like, I think Weeks is going to be in on at least 40%, if not more, uh, once I build out the numbers, because Weeks was the underdog. This fight opened up with Linace at a minus 150 favorite. It got bet to where 
Weeks is a minus 120 favorite. You know, I, I at 170, I just expect, and this is the, the inside the distance finish number is at minus 205. People expect Weeks to take down Linace and be able to get the finish. Now, Linace is huge. He is a very big 170 pounder. He's got knockout power, but he does gas out. So if Weeks gets this into the second and third round, I think Linace is going to be completely and utterly gassed, and he just takes him out. And so I will also be live betting this one to see how it goes. If Linace gets out to a good start, I'm going to be live betting Weeks because I expect Weeks to be able to rest him down to the ground and get a finish, uh, even if he loses the first round. So to me, um, Weeks is definitely going to be in play uh, for me throughout this card. Um, I expect uh, ownership on Weeks as well, so I'm not saying anything too crazy. But um, for this card, I, I think there's just other ways of going about it that you don't you don't necessarily have to put yourself uh, in danger of losing um, losing out on um, the opportunity here. Because, again, as I said, we, we sometimes tend to overthink this. And I just don't think it, this is an overthink it kind of uh, event. Uh, I think, realistically... Uh, there are some favorites here, and because of the sh- reshuffling at the top of the card that I talked about, we just need to target that, and then some of these bottom pieces, it fits into place. Let's not overthink it. So, as I said, I'll have a lot of Chemayev. Tony and Nate, I'll have exposure to, but way more exposure on Tony, even though he's got four straight losses. It, it's crazy. And then Rodriguez, the pricing, it's just too good. Uh, like, I how are you passing that up? So, and because I like Kutalaba so much, it's like, I'm already saying too much, but it's like, this lineup kind of builds itself out um, between Dewadu and, and some of the other names I've already mentioned. You will be able to put together some very strong lineups tonight. So, uh, I'm going get to on, get on out of here. It's a lot of NFL stuff to cover for Sunday. So, we've <laughs> we got a lot to record still. So, Uh, I'm going to wrap this up, uh, get this uploaded for you guys to be prepared for UFC tonight, and we'll go from there. But have a good one, folks. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all other major outlets. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.